Okay, thank you, Lina. And thank you, uh, Jiang and Xiaolan, for inviting me. It's a great pleasure. So my assignment is talking about populate, population aging policies in China. This is a very important topic because we are facing a very serious population aging problem. Uh, according to the 2010 census, uh, people 60 and older accounted for 13% of the population. That is, one person out of eight is age 60 and older. By 2050, one person out of three will be uh, 60 and older. And uh, it's also the number of people, the magnitude is uh, 185 million people by uh, at this time. It's already, we consider as old in China. <laughs> you consider, uh, you define uh, for 85. So, um, so this is a very rapid aging and it's occurring at a relatively low uh, level of income. So it poses a lot of challenges for China, one of which is how do we care for the huge amount of elderly? Um, how do we guarantee their income and health, um, et cetera? And secondly, um, how do we save the younger people <laughs> if they're old, overburdened financially uh, or uh, physically taking care of their old people? So how, how do they cope? Um, Thirdly, uh, people start to worry about the impact of aging on economic growth. Uh, China has had phenomenal growth in the past 30 years and is slowing down a little bit. So, so there's a worry that the aging population is going to hurt uh, the future prospect for economic growth. Through this means, one is reduce savings and secondly, reduce uh, labor supply. So, uh, so that's why now three years is actually six years ago we started to work on the aging population aging project. So we focus on health and retirement in this survey, in this study, in this project. Health is a, really a key to the uh, to the prospect or to the, the the size of the challenge of population aging because if people can age healthily, if there's, there can be a healthy aging, then our lives can be a lot easier. Uh, first of all, there's this, this concept of compression of morbidity. It's already occurring in developed countries. Uh, that means along with improved health, good health is longer, bad health is shorter. So people die quickly uh, at the, uh, at near the end of the life. So if this is occurring, then the, the, the needs of care actually reduces instead of increases. And it also uh, reduces financial burden um, uh, by either needing less health care or by working longer. So the, the health is really the key. Uh, I'm showing this graph, it's now China, it's actually UK. It's, uh, it's evidence for improved health along with longevity. So this graph is showing the horizontal is year and this is age. What is this? This is in the 60s, uh, the mortality rate for people at age 65. And we track 
the uh, the mortality rate for age 65 and see uh, see what age that is. Of course, this, the age is up. Now, uh, in 60s, that the same mortality rate is a 65, but by this time is 75. So it's, it's amount, it amounts to a 10 more years of healthy life. So this means health of 75 is equivalent to health uh, 65 in, 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 in 1960. So, um, so this is evidence that health does improve um, when the population ages. So that means uh, the age, a population aging does not necessarily reduce savings. So if people can work longer, they can continue to save past age 60 or 65 or labor supply. If they work longer, the labor can, can prolong. Right? So economic growth does not, necessarily, does not necessarily hurt by population aging. So we want to know, uh, uh, but, but that does not come automatically. Um, we need policy changes. We need adaptations to the current policy in order for that to, to come about. So these are the policy areas that I'm going to talk about today. One is, of course, the most important one is retirement policy. Can we postpone retirement? Can we have people work longer as they have uh, longer, uh, longer lives to live? And the second area is migration policy, uh, that, that, uh, that we need to change the migration policy so that the old people can be taken care of. And the third one is social security policy that can give people a decent uh, living in old life. Let me start talking about the, this, this project I've been doing since 2006. This is called China Health and Retirement Longitudinal Study. It's a biannual survey uh, representative of uh, Chinese age for 45 and older. I have some brochure here. <laughs> so if you're welcome to take one at the end of uh, this conference. Um, so this is the Charles is the, the acronym of the, of the survey. So it's, it started with a two province pilot in, in Gansu and Zhejiang. And it's a relatively large sample. 2,800 uh, uh, people. These people are tracked, are followed up in 2012 with a very good uh, tracking rate, 93% 90, tracking rate. And uh, in 2011, mainly 2011, we did our first national baseline survey. The first time we surveyed the people, uh, we got 17, almost 18,000 people uh, 45 and older, uh, in uh, 150 counties, uh, 450 village-level village, village level units. So it's a, it's a nation, national survey. Um, we're following them uh, this summer. This will be the first follow-up survey. And the national baseline survey, that's what my data will be based on today, uh, is a ran random sample of the, of the whole country. We, we excluded only Tibet. Uh, so all other counties were included in our sampling frame. So it's multi-stage uh, PPS random sampling. And um, so I've already said that. 
And this is the this is distribution of our 150 county level units. Uh, it mimics very well the population of China. And there is very strict quality control every stage of the sampling and probably the best one so far in China. So we can say for sure that it does represent um, the the population. And the questionnaire is very comprehensive. Um, it includes individual demographics, uh, their health status, uh, caregiving, even biomarkers. We measure, we don't even, we don't um, rely solely on self-reported health. We go and measure a lot of things, including a blood sample. And uh, their, uh, the healthcare, the insurance, and the work, retirement, pension, etc. And then we have household, the, the household where they live in, the household composition and, every, and information about every household member, and also family, their extended family, their parents, their children, every parent, every child, and their siblings, where they are and uh, what they do, etc. So it's, it's uh, and then household assets. So it's very comprehensive, covering almost every aspect of the of their of their family. In addition, we have a community survey in every one of the 450 communities, and a policy survey in one in every one of the 150 um, county level units. And this questionnaire is typical of HRS type. You know what that is? That's the American Health and Retirement Study. It's a very successful study uh, covering people 51 and over. Is uh, the the counterpart in UK is called ELSA. Uh, it's um, elderly uh, old age it's survey. It's not old age. It starts with 51. So it's the international, and, and there is a version in Share, and now currently going on in Japan, in Korea, India. Um, this, uh, one is coming in, uh, in Thailand, and there is one planned for Brazil. So it's an international uh, network of health and retirement studies. So the key, so they cover, is multidisciplinary survey and, um, and geared toward policy analysis. So we released our first report actually last Friday. Uh, this is our the report. It's in both languages. This is Chinese version. It has been reported widely across the world. Wall Street Journal, etc., have been reporting on our figures. So let me begin with, um, with the, the family, the role of the family in supporting the elderly at the, as of now. So this reports um, the poverty rates we have multi-dimensional poverty rates here. <laughs> so the first one, uh, this is rural. Of course, rural poverty is much higher than urban poverty. And uh, so this is rural. And this top line, 65.1, is the poverty rate if we count only the income of the respondent and the spouse. So only this one or two people in the household, their own income. If we count only their income, 65% of them are poor, according to this new poverty line that uh, Li Shi just told you about. And if we look at consumption, this is what they actually they can they consume. Poverty is 29%. This is the 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 60. This is 60 and the older, and we have a, a corresponding number for the younger, for the 45 to 59. They're much much lower 
So poverty is much higher among the older people than among the young. Then uh, we have these numbers. This is, uh, so, uh, so poverty rate drops from 65 to 40, uh, 46. If we count the household, so the other household members' income uh, pooled together reduces the poverty from 65 to 46. And then if we count the transfers from children, uh, trans each, we record the transfer from each child actually between them. And the net transfer, we count them, it drops by another six percentage points. And if we count government subsidy, this is the poverty reduction or whatever, government subsidies to this household, it, it drops even further. So this is the, the, how the rural elderly are being supported. And the conclusion is family is the most important uh, source of elderly support. It's, much, it's less important in urban areas. Interestingly, the urban elderly actually support their children. So it's the other direction of support. We look at uh, the living arrangement, how, where, uh, where, who they live with. We found that um, 30, about 38% live with their children. Um, and uh, living in a single person household, this is 9.2%. And living with spouse only, this we call empty nest households, Kong Chao. Uh, they, they account for 46% of, of all the people. But these empty nest households, they don't have children living with them. We further, we further decompose. Um, so this is the 38% live with children. Of those that are not living with children, we look at where the children are. Where is the closest child? We found that 37%, most of these that are not living with children, most of them have a child in the same community, in the same village or urban community. So they're very close. Even though they're not living in the same household, a child is, is nearby. So when, when care needs arise, uh, uh, there's someone who can take care of them. And the next category is living in the same county or city. It's also quite, quite close by. And those that don't have any child in the city or county is only 66, one, uh, 6%. And this is have no children. So this means currently, as we stand now, children are the, the primary caregivers. And they're, they're the elderly, the needs of the elderly can readily be met by children. But this is not going to last in the future. This is the number of children uh, by age of the, our respondents. You can see that like people in their 70s or 80s, they have 3.5 children living. But 20 years from now, when people like uh, 20, 45 to 49 year old, that's my cohort, if we age, we go to, uh, 60, to, the, to, to this age, 
we, we only have less than two children available. So the, the current picture that children are taking care of the elderly and the supporting the elderly may not be sustainable. So family will become less reliable and um, because the number of children is so small and they're also increasingly going away. They're, they're, they're migrating, they're working in other, in other place. Uh, most of, there's a lot of aging in countryside. The, uh, the degree of aging is much more serious in, in, the, in the rural areas than urban because the children are, are working in cities. There are small uh, grandchildren in the countryside, but when they grow up, they will live too. So, so, the, so the, um, the countryside will be predominantly old people in the future. So how are they going to be taken care of? And when, when the, the children are now supporting them through sending remittances, right? but when they need care, what will happen? And these people who need care would likely be um, in their 80s, and their children will be in their 50s, will be the prime age of their career. So we expect the children to go back to take care of the elderly. An alternative is the elderly go to the city to live with their children. Or the worst alternative is the elderly don't get any care at all. So of all these alternatives, we think the, the best ones probably the elderly go to move to live with the, with the children. Uh, this is much less research. My research in the past has been children's migration, right? or determine their migration, but much less attention has been made on how to facilitate the migration of the older population, older parents. And we need to think about the, uh, what, uh, what, po what policy reforms are needed to facilitate the migration. For example, um, health insurance. Health insurance, uh, the largest health insurance uh, as of now is the rural uh, cooperative medical insurance. That, that's, that, uh, that insurance is not portable. You cannot use that insurance in Beijing or Shanghai, etc. And for the old people, the, the biggest fear is medical expenses, right? When they need care, they have health problems, and they, they, they would need to spend a lot of money. So that is uh, something we need to, to think about uh, before that, that worst situation really comes. All right, let me go to, from family support to social support. Uh, this uh, picture shows the, uh, the coverage of old age pension by urban and rural. The green bars are urban and red ones are rural. As you can see, this last one, oh, sorry, the last one is uh, no pension. No pension, 16% of urban people, these are by hukou, by the way, uh, have no pension, but uh, six, uh, uh, Nearly 60% of rural people have no pension. This is already a big improvement uh, like, uh, compared to two years prior to our survey because these people who have rural pension, the largest one, um, about one-fourth, one-quarter of the rural people, is a new pension program that started to get implemented in 2009. So before that, this is likely close to zero. So this is already a big improvement. Still, we see the pension coverage. There's a large gap 
between urban and rural areas. Of the people who have pension, these people, what is the amount of money they receive? I'm sorry, I, the, these are cut, but um, this is the uh, new rural social pension. So this is uh, the amount of money, annual money is 120. Um, and then this is government or institution pension is 24,000 and firm basic pension is 18,000. These numbers have been widely reported in China. We <laughs> pick up our report. So it's 33 times <laughs> more pension in uh, cities than in, urban, than in rural areas. So, it's, so the amount of money is, is minimal um, that is being given to the, to the rural elderly now. We have another paper that look at um, uh, the participation of the younger people. That, 70, that 720 yuan per year uh, is given to the, to the elderly without them having to contribute. So it's funded by fiscal revenues. Uh, it's, it's meant to guarantee a minimum living standard. Um, there is a, uh, the, the other the younger people are contributing to a purely uh, individual account-based um, funded pension system. We look at participation, um, it's, it's very low. It, it's, it, people don't value it much. Um, and, and of those who participate, they choose the minimum level uh, that's only 100 yuan um, a year. So, so that's not going to provide higher pension income in the future. And in that article, we, we argue that you, if, you, uh, you need, if you want people to accumulate funds in their individual pension accounts, you have to guarantee a higher returns to their investment. Um, and you need transparency in the management of the fund. Currently, the management is within the county. So, so there's, there's worry that there will be uh, corruption in this process. All right, let me turn to retirement. How much money, how much time do I have? Uh, <laughs> okay. All right, uh, this will be the largest component of my presentation. This is uh, based on uh, two uh, censuses, uh, the 82 and 2005 is the mini census. So the, so the green lines are mortality rates. So you can see from 82, it, shift, uh, it shifts, shifted down to 2007. So at each age, the rate of mortality is lower. So this, is, uh, this tells the story that health is improving. Health has improved uh, over these uh, 30 some years. Um, and this, these two lines are employment rate. Right? Employment rate by age, and this is not Surprisingly, it's the old one, 82, and the, this is 2005. So employment has shifted down as well. This graph uh, shows the relationship between mortality, which is an indicator of health, with uh, employment. And you also see a shift uh, between 82 and 85. This means uh, for, a, for employment of uh, 50%, um, the health is much better in 2005 
than in 2002, than in uh, 1982. So for, for, for employment rate to remain the same, men, this is men, right, in, in 2005 have to be a lot healthier. Alternatively, we look at the health status fixed at this point. In, for a given health status, labor force participation in, 2000, in 1982 was 80%. For the same health status in 2005, it has come down to 50%. So employment participation has come down. Uh, from the Charles data, we, we plotted the employment rate. This is from our data, uh, but by the age group. We found a very large gap between urban and rural areas. Uh, this is rural labor force participation and it's urban. This is a huge gap. Um, and then we also did uh, by, by female, uh, by men and women, these two are urban um, and these two are, are rural. And this green line is urban women labor force participation. It, it came down very rapidly at around age 50. Well, rural women stayed on to the labor market to, to work uh, until pretty late. Right? And then at age 50, at this time, the, the men dropped, the labor force participation dropped. And these differences by urban-rural um, are not explained by work intensity. We, oh, oops, sorry, I deleted a graph showing work intensity, sorry, mistakenly. So the working, the hours, working hours are similar. So it's not that rural people are just going to the field one hour, one hour a day or a month, etc. And we compare our uh, retirement rate with the rest of the world. We have three sets of bars. This is China as a whole, this average. This is Chinese rural people, and these are urban people. And each bar represents a different age group. So you can see this is, uh, for example, 60 to 64 age group. This is retirement. This is opposite of, uh, so, the, so the higher bars are more retirement. So you, you compare this with the rest of the world, you can see it's much higher than India, in, higher than South Korea, Japan. Japan's pretty low retirement. Even higher than US, Canada. It's, it's uh, higher than Germany, it's uh, lower than Italy. <laughs> so, so it's higher urban men retire earlier than most of the other developed countries except for Western Europe. And if you look at uh, urban women, this is women, if, and you look at, you don't have to go to 64, you, you can just look at 50 to 54, this orange bar. It's also pretty, pretty high. Right, it's higher than Canada. It's lower than can higher than even France. So, so Chinese urban women they retire even earlier than the Western uh, European welfare societies. The rural people are are there quite normal. They are comparable to the developed uh, developed countries. Oh, this is the, the intensity. So, so this means um, retirement policy, there are aspects of the policy that we need to discuss. Uh, 
just in case you are not, not familiar with the Chinese retirement policy, uh, our retirement age of retirement established in the 50s. Um, women retire at age 50 or 55, and men retire at age 60, and that's never changed. Other countries had similar ages of retirement back then, but they, they raised it over time. But China has never raised, even though life expectancy has gone up by more than 20 years. Um, okay, this is um, condition, this is uh, hazard rate. Um, this means for, for 100, 100 people not yet retired, how many retire at this age? So you see the spikes. Right? So these are the, the retirement, the timing of retirement. Uh, there are spikes for, for, for uh, urban female, we see they retire at age 50. Right? And also age 55. Urban men, we see that they retire at mainly age 60 and some at age uh, 55. But it smooths for rural people. <laughs> so these spikes indicate that uh, the retirement policy induces uh, retirement. So why are there these spikes? Um, one reason we think is firms use retirement rule to force workers to leave jobs. Mandatory retirement vizier's uh, uh, paper is response to wage rigidity. You cannot uh, give people a lower wage. You have to get rid of them. If their wage can be more flexible, then they, they, they are retainable. Uh, but if you have to get rid of them, well, our retirement previously, I'm sorry, I didn't mention, these are actual retirement. It's not process retirement. It's actually stopping work. So even though they want to work, they have to find another job. And it's really hard to find another equivalent job because there's specific human capital invested in that job. So a lot of people have to use self-employment, have to go into self-employment if they want to continue to work. And that is hard for a lot of people. Um, so, so, so the firms don't like to retain, uh, retain the workers. And the workers, they also they don't have incentive to stay even though they have an option, because the, the pension rule is very weakly related to years of work. Right. So, so they want to work longer, they, it's not worthwhile for them. Okay. So, so what are the policy reforms uh, that we recommend to prolong the working lives? One is abandon mandatory retirement, uh, to allow those who are healthy and willing to work, let them work. And secondly, give, give incentives to people to retire later. If they want to postpone by one year, then there's accumulated money within this, in this one year, and the postponed uh, the, 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 the retirement funds should be given to them so that they are, they are not penalized for retiring late. Um, and also, if you want to encourage them to retire later, to work longer, you should give them additional incentive. And thirdly, 
gradually we must delay retirement age, pension age, um, to younger workers at least, and that should be done gradually. If you look at Japan, they have done it smoothly. The men's retirement age was 55 in the 50s, but gradually raised since 50s to 70s to 60, and now they're, they're, they are 63, and, it, and according to their formula, automatically it goes up to 65. And we need something like that in China. So to summary, um, I emphasized three areas of policy reform uh, that are needed to address population aging problems. One is migration reform um, that, that, uh, that can allow families to fully function as caregivers to the elderly. We cannot rely on social support because social caring, they're, they're substandard across the world. Even in the United States, uh, less than 10% of those 70s and older are cared for by nursing homes. So we need fam families, the caring quality is higher. And then the second area is social security reform. Uh, that we need that to reduce elderly poverty, and we need to reform the pension system to, to encourage accumulation of retirement assets. And thirdly, is retirement policy. I'm quoting actually David uh, Weiss. <laughs> Some of the bounty of longer lives must be allocated to prolonging the labor force participation of older workers. That's it. Thank you.